Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. To him who overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from God out of heaven. So he says to him that overcomes, I'm going to write upon him the name of the city of my God, and he leaves no question about it, which is New Jerusalem. Let me submit this thought to you. New Jerusalem is not a place. It's a people. It is the, I'll show you in just a few moments in Revelation. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he'll use three different icons to describe that. So if you don't get one of them, you can get the other one. But he's saying, come and see, come and see, come and see. And so then he opens the latter part of the book of Revelation. He starts saying, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. And I hope as this seminar, which is, I promise you, I've skimmed the surface in, comes to an end that you will stand and say, and I saw. I saw, I saw some stuff I didn't see before. What did you see, John? Revelation 21, verse number, can you bring that up for me? Verse number one, maybe through three, or, uh, she's getting it. And I saw heaven and earth gone, the first heaven gone, the first earth gone, gone the sea. And I, I saw holy Jerusalem new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as, a, as a ready for God as a bride for her husband. And I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. Making his home with men. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The throne continued. Look, I am making everything new. Write it all down. Each word dependable and accurate. Now let me stop here for a moment. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no more sea. If you ask any Hebrew Jewish boy, even today, when I say to you, heaven and earth, what do you think of? They will say, our temple and our covenant. Because Josephus writes concerning the temple, and he said it was, as it were, the universal gate of heaven. It was, how many know, I've retracted with what I've said, the temples was the place where God met with men. But when he's saying, gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, there was no more sea. He's talking not about an ocean drying up when he says there was no more sea. He's talking about the brazen sea or the sea of glass. Help me, Holy Ghost. That was in the tabernacle of Moses, and Solomon specifically called it the sea of glass. What he's saying is, this temple and this heaven and this earth is about to pass away. Now let me tell you that when Peter is writing here and he's saying the elements are about to melt with a fervent heat and we, according to his promise, are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. And we are hasting too. In other words, we are saying, come on, man. He's not talking about a cosmic collapse. He was talking about what Jesus had prophesied that within that generation, that temple would be destroyed and that covenant would be moved off of the scene. And when it did, there would come a new heaven and a new earth and a new covenant and a new tabernacle and a new Jerusalem. 
I'm going to show you some more scripture. What really caught my attention, and especially the book of Peter's, is when he said the elements would melt with a fervent heat. Bring my Galatians text up. Help me, Holy Ghost. We're covering pretty good this morning. Hallelujah. I know this is probably some real mind-shaking stuff to some of you, but I hope you're hearing what I'm saying this morning. Am I communicating all right? You don't have to agree with me, but you just have to listen to what I have to say. Uh, Galatians 4, verses 1 through 2. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed unto the fathers. Even so, we... When we were children, we're in bondage. Do you see this next phrase? Under the elements, the elements of the world. You see this word elements? Same Greek word Peter's using when he says the elements are about to melt with a fervent heat. He's not talking about a nuclear exchange. Well, I thought I'd get a little bit more happy response about that. He's not talking about something out in the distant future when we watch the news and think, oh, this is prophecy coming to pass. This was written to people that would be relevant to Peter writing to them. He's telling them the elements are about to melt with a fervent heat. What elements specifically? This is the Greek word stoichion. And it is only ever used to describe the law of Moses. Because he's talking about when we were children, we were under the elementary things. Touch not, taste not handle not the elementary things of the law but when the fullness of time was come God sent forth the son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of the son into your hearts crying Abba Father wherefore you're no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ Howbeit then when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods but now after that you have known God or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weekend, see this word? The weekend beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage, you observe days, months, times, and years. I'm submitting to you that what he's saying here, the elements that were about to melt, was not some futuristic atomic exchange, but it was the collapse of this old covenant system that would literally be burnt to the ground, the temple would be destroyed, the centerpiece of Judaism, and animal sacrifice would never be possible to go back. And even the lineage of the Levitical priesthood would be destroyed so there's no genealogical record so they could ever restore a restored temple because there's no genealogical records for a true Levitical priesthood. And even if there was, who would want to go back to a Levitical priesthood when Jesus is a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek? And if there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of covenant, a change of the law. Come on, somebody. In other words, I'm trying to tell you, this ought to be incredibly good news, just a possibility that I could be right, that maybe we don't have hell on earth to look forward to, that this stuff ain't going to fall apart, that if we could get the church to function in her position, we might could even turn some stuff around right now in our generation. I'm preaching this not to be popular. I'm preaching it to leave my children and my grandchildren a future. Because if somebody, see, I, let me tell you something. I turned 65 Friday night. But when you get my age, you start thinking, I don't got time to preach cute little sermons anymore. 
I'm either going to tell you the truth or I'm going home. And I decided several years ago, I'm going to preach what I believe is true until nobody wants me to preach anymore. And you know what's been amazing? More doors have opened since I thought like that than they did, come on, when I was trying to be cute. But I believe my assignment is to begin to bring, I believe we are in something bigger than revival. I believe it's a great awakening. But the awakening is not a final push to get us ready to go. It's a final push to get us ready to take over. Because the earth does not belong to the devil and his crowd. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ. It's in my copy of the will. Hallelujah. The reason we like the escape hatch is because it relieves us of any responsibility to engage in a harvest. When Jesus said in Matthew 13, the harvest is the end King James of the world, every other translation says the harvest is the end of the age. He wasn't talking about the end of this age. He was talking about the end of that age. And he was talking about the tares would be gathered in bundles and burnt with an unquenchable fire. That's not something that's in your future. That's something that's behind you. That ought to be incredibly good news to somebody. When Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 and said the tribulation, wars, rumors of wars, they'll deliver you up to be killed, earthquakes, uh, uh, you know, uh, pestilence, all those things. He declared to them, all of this will happen before this generation passes away. That ought to be good news to you that maybe you don't have seven years of hell on earth to look forward to. Go back and watch the videos. Hallelujah. I don't know why people wouldn't get excited about good news. Now, let me go on down. Let, let, let's jump down into Galatians. Bring it up the, the part from uh, 21 on in the Amplified Bible. This is too powerful to me. I, I got a few more scriptures. Then we're going to get out your rope. Then you can go back to normal. You can go, glad that guy's gone. No. Let me tell you, man, this has given me back my life. It's given me back my peace. Taking the fear out for me. It's giving me hope for the future of my kids and my grandkids. It tells me, hallelujah, that maybe there is a purpose. Maybe the dreams God gave to us and our young people are God dreams. Maybe we're supposed to be doing something. Maybe we should build the buildings. Maybe we should, come on, plant the vineyards. Hallelujah, that maybe some of this doom stuff was not talking about this age. It was talking about that age. And it went and it came up. And an old heaven and an old earth passed away. And a new one came on the scene. I am living in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I grant you that it's not everything it's going to be because there's an ongoing increase. Because Revelation 21 and 22 are both past, present, and future. It is the universal church of Jesus Christ throughout all generations that is called to stand back and say the Spirit and the bride are saying, come. And if you're thirsty, come and drink. Because if you'll get a drink of this water, it'll wipe all tears from your eyes. Well, where's this water coming from, Dr. House? It's coming from a throne and a lamb in the middle of a throne in a temple has no wormwood in it. Everything it touches lives. It produces a tree that's on both sides of the river, a tree of life. Jesus then begins to declare that you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost and out of your belly shall flow rivers 
of living water, what comes out of your mouth when you open it up? Is it wormwood and bitterness and frogs and unclean spirits? Or is it, I've got some words of life for you to tell you, hallelujah, that God is not mad with you. He's not against you. He's for you that if you can come and drink of the water without cost, come on, it'll remove everything that had to do with the curse and you'll be able to live in a whole new world. Let me tell you, I'm not just going to the kingdom. The moment I got saved, I got translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. I'm right now a citizen. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Let's read this. Let me look at the time. Galatians 4.21. Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law. This is Galatians 4.21. Same context of the elements that I talked about. Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law. Will you not listen to what the law really says? What is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai where the law was given and bears children destined for slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar is and stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem. For she is in bondage together with her children. I didn't say that. The Scripture did. Well, let me try it over here. If I had a driver, I'd say, go get the car ready. He said that the Jerusalem, which now is, is Hagar, Mount Sinai. It's Old Covenant Jerusalem. Not my opinion. It's what your Bible says. But the Jerusalem above, the Messianic kingdom of Christ is free, and she is our mother. For what is written in the Scripture, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. He's quoting Isaiah 54. But we, brethren, are children not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like, is, like Isaac, born in virtue of the promise. How many of you are born again? How many of you have been born a supernatural birth? Then you're in, come on, you're in the, you're in the right, you're, you're right now part of the messianic kingdom of Christ. You're a part of the Jerusalem which is above right now. Touch your neighbor and say now. Say it again, now. See, a procrastinator is somebody who won't take now for an answer. And just as, just as verse 29, but yet just as at that time the child of the ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of the slave woman, the natural, but of the free. In other words, there's not an alternative option. There's only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. And that's at the name of Jesus. And he is the true vine and he is the right. Come on, somebody. 
And we are a part of that heavenly Jerusalem. We are a part of that new heaven and new earth and that new Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, verse 18. I'm getting close to finishing. Are you all right still? Let me take your pulse. For you have not come to the mountain that might be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot through with an arrow. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly am afraid and trembling. How many know that was Mount Sinai? He says this, you did not come to that mountain. Here's the tragedy. That's the mountain we bring people to every Sunday morning across American churches, is the mountain of fear, trembling, and a God who says, stay away. A God who says, if you touch this, I'm going to kill you all. Good news, but you are not come to that mountain. Well, then what have we come to? Next verse. But you have come. You ain't marching there. It ain't some glad morning. It ain't in the sweet by and by. It ain't one of these days. But you have come to Mount Zion. And you've already come to the city of the living God into the heavenly Jerusalem. And you're already come to an innumerable company of angels. You've already come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not refuse him who speaks on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now once more he is promising, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this now, this yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are being shaken as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So when he declares this, he says, listen, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to a God who says, go away. You come to Mount Zion. You've come to the new covenant. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You're already a part of the new Jerusalem. And then he begins to declare, don't refuse him who's talking to you from heaven. Speaking from earth, he's talking from Sinai. Talking from heaven, he's speaking concerning the new covenant. And he's telling these Hebrews in the first century, three and a half years before the destruction of Jerusalem, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. That's not a 2022 verse of Scripture. That is a Scripture that firmly belongs to this audience. Does God still shake things? Of course He does. But the, what He's talking the context here is, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken because I'm going to remove everything that doesn't belong in the kingdom of God, and that would be the entire old covenant, and then our God is a consuming fire. And I tell you that within three and a half years of Peter telling that and Paul declaring this, and as you watch them ratch up their speech, they'll say the judge is standing at the door in the book of James. The time is at hand. It is near. In other words, all these nearness, Revelation 1, don't seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is at hand. It was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. 
the fact that these battles are fought with horses ought to tell you this is first century stuff relative to that time period. And can I tell you that within three and a half years, the elements melted. The stoichion, all that had to do with the trapping of all of that, everything that could be shaken, was shaken. And God left a kingdom which cannot be removed. I submit to you this morning that when you got born again, you became part of a new heaven and a new earth. You became part of a tabernacle of God. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Look, look. God's moved in the neighborhood. He made his home with men. Can I tell you, you're the bride, the lamb's wife. You're already married to him. And if all three of those are true, then you are also the city of the living God. You're the capital city where the king dwells. And from this city, set on a hill that can't be hid, there's legislative authority that goes forth as we declare and speak the word that flows from heaven. It will come on, hallelujah. You say, is this all there is? This is just the beginning. Come on, stand on your feet all over this room. What it does is puts it in the arena of what am I waiting on? Now, now, now let me say, because I know probably a lot of you have not been here, and let me, let me say to kind of make you feel a little bit at ease here. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you there's not a heaven. I believe if, if I took my last breath today, in the next one I would wake up in the presence of God in heaven. I believe all, all, all of that stuff. But I also believe God's intention is not just for me to get saved, lived in 70 or 80 years of misery, and then I can go there and be happy. The book of Deuteronomy says he wants to give us the days of heaven on earth. God wants to invade this planet with heaven. And you are part of that ongoing program. When he, when, when, right before Jesus ascended, he said to them, they asked him the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He, they asked him that. He gave it the commission five times. He would say to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that's given into the Father's hands. But the last time he gave the great commission is in Acts chapter 1 or 2. I forget exactly which one. He's about to ascend, and he says, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus looks at that audience, and this is he answers them this time, but this is how he answers them. He says, they said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he looks at him, he says, but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? But you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. You shall be witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, other part of the earth. Come on, lift your hands all over this room. Because I'm, I'm, I'm speaking some stuff prophetically. You will receive power. Come on, what I'm talking about orchestrating is not through social programs or political powers. I'm talking about what happens through the power of the Holy Ghost. Because every time you lay hands on the sick, cast out a devil, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. You will receive power after the Holy Ghost 
has come upon you. The Holy Ghost is to do more than just give you a hook and a jerk and a feel-good feeling. It's the power to execute kingdom business where you're at. You have authority as believers. You've got as much authority as, as, as me standing here on this pulpit to speak to yourself, to speak over your body, to speak to your family, to speak to your loved ones. Because every time we do, the kingdom of God invades our world until all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's the progressive thing look like? It looks like the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion and the bullock shall be as one. In other words, peace. They'll beat their swords and weapons into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. If a man dies at 100, he'll be considered an infant of days. I believe this gives us longevity. I believe it gives us health. I believe it gives us wealth. I believe it gives us power. Hallelujah. Because while there's a capital a few miles to our east, there's also a capital city in this room today. Look, look. God has moved in the neighborhood. Yeah, but Brother Howes, you don't know where I live. I live in the projects. And the reason you do is because God wants you to start a kingdom colony right there. Colonize it. Release the kingdom wherever you're at. Do it in your business. Do it in your family. See, this is stuff to me that's relevant. Every time I do stuff honestly, the kingdom has come. Every time I walk across the street and help my elderly neighbor, the kingdom has come. Every time I speak peace across my dinner table rather than hate and dispute, the kingdom has come to me. Are you, every time I teach my children principles of how to do what's right and live in righteousness because the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's justice. It's peace and it's joy and it's the only kingdom that does it right. Hallelujah. I'm glad the other one melted. I'm glad I don't live under no covenant paradigm. I'm glad I live. My address is New Jerusalem. And from there, come on, there's a street in the middle of this city. It's a golden street. Gold speaks of the nature of God. It's a street called straight. It's a highway called holiness. The typology is more than I can unpack in one day. I just hope that I've communicated well enough in this last couple of days to set you up for success. And all I ask you to do is consider the possibility that some of the stuff that I've shared might be correct. Go back and watch these videos. Study them for yourself. I don't expect you to believe everything that I believe. It's been a lifelong journey for me uncovering these things. But I can tell you there's a whole lot more people that believe it that want to say they believe it because I meet behind the scenes with a lot of guys I call Nick at night. Nicodemus, they're rulers that don't want to be seen with me in public, but they know what I'm doing is right. I spoke with a leader of a major denomination not long ago, and he said, we believe what you're preaching is right, but if we preach it, the people will leave and split the church right down the middle. And one of his pastors said, then you want us to lie to the people. Somebody's going to preach the truth. Of course, we all think we are. I'm not trying to be facetious this morning. I respect what other people think. I just think here's the possibility. Consider it. This is victorious. This makes God so much bigger. 
And this is Victorious Eschatology. Put your hands together and welcome your pastor back this morning. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.